the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Thank you for joining us tonight. In our first segment tonight, we're going to be checking in on Cuyahoga County to find out what's going on here in Northeast Ohio. With us is our returning guest, Nan Baker. Nan, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me back. Always things going on at uh, Cuyahoga County Council. (laughs) Uh, Well, I know. And it's so important because it's a a huge chunk of government and a lot of money, and we don't hear enough about it. So we really, really appreciate you spending the time with us. Uh, Topics for for this week. Uh, One, how are we doing on COVID? It's something that's still sort of percolating under the radar here. What's happening? Yes, and uh, well, I would say as all the talk that we've been uh, engaging over the last couple of years, we are in a very good place with COVID. Um, Most people are feeling the freedom from it and uh, are not living in such fear as we did, as we remember in March 2020 and even in 2021. Uh, We did have a brief uh, increase in cases. Uh, about a week or two ago, and the executive ordered that all county buildings and courthouses go back to mask mandates. But uh, that only lasted a week, and everyone is back to their normal routine. And anyone who feels that they need to, of course, is welcome to do whatever it is they feel is safe. But uh, for the most part, uh, the mandates have been lifted, and we are living in a society that uh, people are escaping the fear that they once felt um, not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Are, are there still some concerns we should have about COVID, or should we just go about uh, life the way it was in 2019? Well, if I think we can remember what it was be, like. Right. I think people will always be uh, uncertain, perhaps for a little while longer. I mean, washing of hands, keeping your distance, uh, being in crowds could still be something where people may feel a little intimidated. Um, so I'm not sure if that will leave us as soon as we uh, would hope it would. But as far as, I think, living the life of going out and engaging with others and going to restaurants and not having that uh, such a dark cloud over our heads, and feeling like we need to stay home, uh, I don't. I don't think we're. Will ever. I shouldn't say ever, but I think the thought is that we are beyond those days, and that we do have the medications now. We have the vaccines. We have boosters. We even have medications during the time that you may get it. And the Omicron um, has been a um, virus that has been much more mild than what we saw with the Delta. So the combination of all that, I think people are feeling uh, much better about being out there. And uh, certainly the county and the public health department uh, are encouraging people to take heed, but also try to enjoy your life. And that's that's where we're at right now. 
Are we hearing a lot of calls coming into the county about uh, concerns or sort of bizarre trouble spots concerning COVID, or is that pretty much behind us now? That's pretty much behind us now. I mean, we do have, uh, we uh, awarded money uh, through county council for uh, any testing, if anyone wanted testing, for additional masks, for um, even uh, with the ARPA money, the American Rescue Act money, uh, the <clears throat> Adams Board wanted to uh, buy a mobile unit so that they can go and give people tests if they want to, give them vaccines in areas where we find it a little more prevalent um, of those that haven't gotten vaccines yet. So there is an effort to go above and beyond now where we were when uh, it was easily available. Are there things we still should be concerned about with COVID, or is this a chapter that we can move beyond now? Are we not there yet? I I don't think we're there yet. I mean, I would like to say that we are, but I think that that is always looming. Is there going to be another increase in cases? Like we just had a week ago and Cuyahoga County was put in a red zone. And uh, so that, that just doesn't go away. At least it hasn't yet. Are people fearful of the red zone when we start increasing in cases? I didn't really see too much fear out there. Um, like I said, the county executive ordered mask mandates for the county offices and courts. But beyond that, I don't think people even knew that we were in a red zone and are just feeling that if they got it, there's medication for them. They've been vaccinated. They've been boosted. And uh, they aren't going to let this interfere with their life. And do, so, yes, do we find the economy? Concern, but, yeah. Okay. Do we find the economy is uh, sort of coming back into shape now, back into where it belongs? Yes. Uh, I think issues now that are impacted by our retailers and our restaurants and even uh, some of our uh, hotels is the lack of help. So we are looking more at an economy where we can't fill the positions where some of the restaurants, some of the hospitality industry um, are closing early or can't take on large uh, banquets. Um, lots of after-hour type of get-togethers are limited. So it is a different issue more so than the COVID. It is now kind of evolved into how can we get back to where we were in 2019 based on the labor shortage that, uh, which is real that these companies are, are dealing with. Do we see the tax dollars still coming into the county government as it's expected? Or are we showing uh, a, a reduction maybe because of COVID and maybe because of other economic issues? Yeah, no tax dollars are high tax dollars really, even through the, difficult days were not hit to the point where we thought they would be. We came out of that COVID pretty well. I think the uh, online sales and getting dollars from that tax dollar, which we didn't used to get, and then also a lot of the um, ordering um, and pickup and deliveries. And uh, there were many ways that people found to order and to receive the goods and services uh, that we were really not too badly impacted, and now sales tax certainly is where we want it to be and even exceeding. So it's, that is not an issue right now. 
You, you mentioned, mentioned the American Rescue Plan, the ARP plan for money coming out of the government to the county. Uh, how is that still yeah. working? Are we still seeing dollars coming in? Do we still have leftover dollars? Are we spending it? Yes. Uh, we received at the county $240 million, which is a considerable amount of money. $120 million needs to be spent in each year over two years. What's not spent over those two years, at least allocated, will be sent back to the federal government. So it is a focus of ours right now to make sure that that money is spent and spent wisely. We have examples of money that uh, has already been allocated, um, $5 million towards the Cleveland Food Bank. It's a $40 million storage center uh, because the need for food has increased things like $20 million to improve the homeless shelters and uh, even the arts and culture organizations are receiving uh, $3, $3 million to enhance that industry. Um, I have my mayors in the West Shore, Westlake, Rocky River, North Olmsted, Fairview Park, and Bay Village, and ask them what can, are there any projects in their cities that could enhance the quality of life. And I want projects that I can put a point to and say, this was the ARPA dollars. I don't want it spread out where we, you know, just can't identify where the, where the, where the dollars went over time. And Bay Village uh, thankfully came through with a lakefront project. Very exciting for us to take a look at what it is that he's proposing. And Rocky River came through with a um, firearms um, facility. They just built a new um, police station and would like to outfit uh, a place for people to, or for police officers regionally to come and learn um, how to engage with firearms and improve their um, their ability. And then Westlake has a um, um, recreational facility that they are proposing. And then finally, Fairview Park um, is proposing a um, environmental service garage that uh, is pretty expansive that includes quite a bit of detail when it comes to the environment and what they need um, for their servicing. So we're still waiting for North Olmsted to finish my five cities, but um, my, uh, my goal is to make sure that whatever we spend those ARPA dollars on, we can certainly point to and say, one-time money, this is what it was used for, and these cities have to be able to maintain them does it look like all the dollars will be spent? We have a, a couple seconds here yet before we have to take a break. Why don't we hold up on that answer until after our break? Right. We're going to take a short break. We're talking to Cuyahoga County Council Person Nan Baker, updating us on what's going on in Cuyahoga County with uh, issues such as COVID and money coming in from the state and federal government. Don't go away. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. And we're talking tonight to Nan Baker from the Cuyahoga County Council, updating us this month on what's going on in Cuyahoga County. Nan, thank you again, as always, for joining us. Thank you for having me. I, I always enjoy our conversation. 
Well, it's always a, a good service to get out uh, this information because otherwise we don't know much about what's going on at the county level. But uh, right. well, let's go back where we were talking before the break. We were talking about ARPA or the American Rescue Plan, the COVID monies coming into the county. Uh, you mentioned $240 million, uh, 120 for this year, $120 million for next year. Does it look like the county will be able to spend all of that or will they have to be turning some of it back in? Oh, no, I believe that there is enough need out there that we will definitely be spending all of the $240 million. It's uh, The job is selecting where those dollars will go to make sure that uh, it is spent appropriately, it has been well vetted, and it is a place where we can certainly say this is a long-term, one-time facility spent for the betterment of, of the people of Kyle County. So I am not uh, at all concerned that we can't find enough places for um, for these dollars to go. Well, what what it seems like is that these dollars are are going to go to Cuyahoga County and go from Cuyahoga County out to the people. Will go out via the municipal governments at the municipal level. Uh, is, is that accurate? And should people be checking with their municipal governments if they're curious as to how they're going to be obtaining and using those funds? I would say uh, partially yes, that uh, each of us on county council are reaching out to our mayors uh, as we feel are the leaders of our community and asking them what it is that they feel is important to improve the quality of life for their um, constituents. Uh, but not all money is being spent that way. We have, for example, another $1.8 million going to um, minimize the lead issues that exist in homes. Um, that's a pretty big deal, and we are starting with $1.8 million. It probably will grow to a higher number, but uh, any houses that were um, built before 1978 have a high potential of lead paint, and is in, this really impacts children who we find have learning disabilities that come from homes with lead paint. So that is a, a high priority um, wanting to make sure these ARPA dollars can be used. To me, I, I can't believe that we've gone this long without minimizing that effort anyway. We've talked about it enough, but now we have the dollars in place that it will certainly um, be a focus of overcoming those homes, especially with homes that have children, um, to give grants to those homeowners or even those that rent from landlords um, to make sure that those homes are safe for families. So it's a, a chronic problem, and that does get covered under the COVID money. Is that right? Yes. Um, actually, the way it is with the county, we had enough uh, loss of dollars over 20 and 21 of economic um, improvement that didn't happen because of COVID that we were able to take the $240 million and write that off as lost funds. So we're pretty broad in how we can spend these dollars, although all of us, I believe, are committed to making sure that these dollars are spent in places where it was originally intended. So we, um, mm -hmm. we, have, yeah, we have our own um, criteria of what we feel is best spending these dollars, but it certainly does align with the initial. It's amazing that we have essentially lost 
2020 and 2021. Mm-hmm. And when I see that it's 2022 and we're starting to do things, it's sort of a real time mm-hmm. warp going from 2019 to 2022. Like it is. what happened? Whenever we talk about economic increases or whether we talk, we, for the most part, write off 2021. What, what were the numbers in 2019? <laughs> That's what we asked. 20 and 21, we can't gauge anything. Those are lost two years that whatever economic activity was, whatever numbers come from those two years are really not relevant. So we always go back to 19 numbers and compare it to 2022 numbers and where we think we should be. It's, uh, it is, it's, I've never experienced anything like that, but that is the proper way of doing it in yeah. order to uh, to make sure we're moving forward. Well, I, I don't think anyone alive today has experienced this before uh, mm-hmm. with regard to uh, you know how we're doing economically. But, right. oh my. Right. Well, yeah. uh, the computer programming for the kind of, try in a couple of minutes here, hit a couple of the other issues going around. Yeah. The ERP mm-hmm. program where you're computerizing the county with, with, I assume, new computers, new programs, and so forth. How's that coming? Right. Actually, we've talked about this the last couple of years, more than that, probably the last five years. And since I've been there, and it was going on before I got there, the Enterprise Resource Planning, the ERP system, which is an internal computer system that was designed to take over all of our um, applications uh, that we Uh, used to run the county. And we have struggled with that ERP system. We just had many different delays. And of course, 20 and 21 didn't help. But the good news here in 2022, we are pretty much at the end of the ERP success. So, uh, or I should say the beginning of seeing the ERP end as far as launching and actually becoming part of the system for the county. We are at a point where we're engaging with the sheriff's department, which is challenging. We have a new sheriff uh, right now, Sheriff Stephen Hammett. And, of course, just being new and then trying to make sure the jail and all are are running appropriately and then also dealing with the new computer system, making sure everybody is inputting correctly, is a challenging Mm -hmm. time for the ERP administration. but, But we're getting through it. They're very positive. Um, I can say that uh, it feels good right now to be at a place where this system is looking at the rearview mirror as far as the difficulties of launching, and we are now using it as a tool. And that's uh, yeah, the better learning point. curve is up and up and running too. The yeah. uh, you mentioned the sheriff's department and the county jail and the justice center yeah. also. That's a problem and a project we've been talking about. How is that coming? It's coming. Uh, we're still in conversation of location. I mean, uh, it's been a very long road of where we think the new jail, which has for the most part been decided that there should be a new jail. The jail that exists there now is 40 years old and um, is beyond the point of repair. Uh, there are some uh, that are on the record that would like to see the jail remodeled and kept and not moved. And that's thrown a kind of a wrinkle into the um, process of uh, moving forward. 
so we need to make sure we get past and answer all the questions of why it is that decision was not made to stay. And um, there's a couple locations that uh, we're seriously looking at. And the Justice Center also is part of this picture. Uh, those that are in the Justice Center now would like to stay at the Justice Center. And that, too, would take a lot of remodeling and, and repair. And structurally, um, it is not a sound place to uh, to be. But that's... Uh, Still part of the conversation of, of moving forward, but I think we're reaching a point where decisions are going to be made, probably in the next are couple we, of weeks. Are we looking at the complete demolition of the whole Justice Center complex? Likely? If the, likely. If the, if the jail were to move and if the Justice Center were to move and the police station, Cleveland Police Station has already moved, uh, yes, then what we would do is raise the, the building and uh, potentially sell it. It's a prime piece of property, and that would help us pay for the expenses of building these other um, complexes. Well, we're going to watch for uh, for more more to come uh, with regard to what's going on at Calgary County. But it's so good to hear a positive report about COVID for now. Let's hope that the variants okay. don't make us a dramatic thing here that will start causing other things to happen and put us back into a lockdown situation but uh, we'll have we'll we'll have you back on uh, next month yeah i don't foresee that happening i just think there's too many uh, medications and boosters and vaccines that are out there now that at least could tap it down if it doesn't stop it at least makes you um the virus not as impactful as it was when we were completely defenseless in March of 2020. Well, let's hope that is all behind us. But anyway, uh, Nan Baker, Cuyahoga County Council, thank you so much for joining us tonight. You're welcome. Thank you. And we'll talk again. We sure will. Have a great day. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHKD Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next two segments, we're going to be talking to a professor from Kent State University, a previous guest on on the show, talking about Ukraine and what's going on with the Russian invasion and how this is uh, looking down the road. Um, Eli, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me again. This is Dr. Eli Call from Kent State University, a professor of political science. Who, uh, His background is interesting. He spent about three years studying uh, in and out of uh, Ukraine what's going on with the transition of the Ukrainian government following the fall of the Soviet uh, rule. And uh, with that, you have a wealth of knowledge. So I appreciate, uh, Eli, you joining us to talk about what's going on in, in Ukraine now. Of course. And, the, uh, you know, the first- Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to ask. A lot of uh, Americans have trouble not saying the Ukraine. It's Ukraine. Uh, can you shed any light on that? Uh, that trivial fact. Uh, yeah. So it's there, there's a lot of reasons why people can take that the wrong way. Um, the Ukraine kind of 
indicates uh, describing it as a, a territory as part of something. So the, the area that's currently and that has been under conflict in Ukraine for the past eight years is called the Donbass um, because it's, it's re- short for referring to the Donbass region of Ukraine. Um, and so by referring to it as the Ukraine, it's essentially the that, that terminology kind of indicates that it's Ukraine territory of some other entity, um, the Ukrainian area of the Soviet Union, the Ukraine territory of the Russian Empire, uh, going back a couple hundred years, um, and so and so the 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 prefix um, kind of indicates that it's not it, almost independent. It is it's kind of one of the ways that at least I envision it and and. And see it um, because Ukraine is a country and it is a territory, an independent country. And we don't say um, can't, the Canada, we say Canada. Um, the United States is a little bit different because of the, the, the terminology and what that name indicates. And so with Ukraine, it's a little bit, uh, they, people can be touchy a little bit about uh, improper use and, and application of the the. Um, most Ukrainians that I know don't take offense if it's an American thing that because they mm-hmm. understand that Americans aren't necessarily aware that what they're saying is kind of indicative of, of implying that Ukraine is not its own sovereign independent state. It's it's part of a larger Russian uh, holding. Um, but it, it, the way I put it is, you know, I think about territorial areas in in the United States, like the Ohio River Valley, um, and, and so that's that's the kind of use that applying the Ukraine kind of case. I see. Well, I, I appreciate the explanation because I, I never was really quite sure why would it cause some type of a negative reaction to say the Ukraine, and people correct you all the time to say it's Ukraine, not like. Mm-hmm the Canada, it's Canada, and it's Ukraine. But but that sort of brings up the question about the history of that region as a region and uh, the, the fact that it's been associated with Russia for centuries. Uh, briefly, what kind of historical significance is there and is the historical significance of the relationship between Ukraine and Russia play any part in why Putin is doing this to Ukraine right now? Um, So there are thoughts that Putin has this revisionist kind of rewriting of history in mind when it comes to Ukraine, but also other areas of the former Soviet Union, like Belarus and uh, in particular, as well as some of the Caucasus region, uh, Georgia and Azerbaijan and Armenia. And the history is actually kind of predates what we know as modern Russia um, in Ukraine. Uh, the first historical documentations of Ukraine come from Herodotus all the way back then. Um, and, and it, you know, the territories in Ukraine along the Black Sea are, were, you know, part of uh, the, the Eastern Roman Empire. Um, and, and they've been part of numerous, um, uh, uh, historical civilizations, but the the most 
prominent one for today's purposes is the Kievan Rus, um, which was the foundations of modern Russian civilization, started in Kiev, Ukraine. Um, actually, it started in a Russian city known as uh, Novgorod, but then emigrated to the, the fortified city of Kiev uh, back in the, the Middle Ages, the early Middle Ages. We're talking 880, um, 800 CE. Um, and this period of time is when the the, the settlers, the, the Varangian settlers of, of Viking descent, so from Norway and Sweden and, and Finland even, uh, who were trading with Constantinople in Tur- what is modern-day Turkey and is known as Istanbul today, uh, would travel down the rivers through Eastern Europe to, to you know, peddle their wares and, and, and engage in trade with the, the Ottomans in, uh, in, in the Turkish Empire, and the, they would stop along the way and uh, kind of intermingle with the Slavic people who, and, and who were kind of this, uh, I guess, referred to commonly as pagan tribes living in the, the Eastern European uh, hinterlands. And eventually they started, some of these Varangian traders started settling down and forming their own kind of permanent status along these rivers. And that's where the, the fortified city of Kiev kind of emerges. Uh, and then uh, Christianity is, is, is brought to uh, the Kievan Rus Empire um, and the kind of foundations of what became modern Russia started in Kiev. So they started... So, Shared civilization. So, mm-hmm. so, so like, at, at this point in time, or at this point in history, Ukrainian and Russian, history, you know, historical civilizations are the same. But then after the Mongol invasion uh, kind of topples Kiev and kind of subjects most of Eastern Europe to Mongol rule, um, the, 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 that's where we start seeing some of this deviation in terms of historical national identity. Um, between Belarusian and Ukrainian and, and Georgian and Crimean, Tatar, uh, civilizations kind of, that's where we start seeing this split in terms of uh, c- cultural and evolutionary um, heritage. And so that's when, it, one of the things that Putin has tried to do is to kind of reinvigorate this history and claim that Ukraine has always been part of Russia. And, and, and that Ukraine was never independent. And to some extent, uh, he, he's pointing to the fact that there haven't been any real periods of independent rule in Ukraine other than the Hetmanite uh, uh, kind of, I, I guess it was like a city-state kind of period, but Ukraine was independent at, during that time. But then Lithuanian and... When, when, was, when was that, by the way? How long ago? Oh, uh, we're... Uh, want to say in the 1500s uh i have to check my notes on that one i'm sorry well that's but, okay but, that's remote uh, that's remote enough to make it ancient history yeah it's it, I, I mean so uh, it, it for, occurred for after purposes. the mongols were pushed back yeah um the most recent periods of of independence in ukrainian civilization though were you know ukraine was independent for about 2 months uh after the October Revolution uh, pushed out the Tsar and 
Russia and kind of the Bolsheviks started taking control over what became the Soviet Union. For about two months, the Ukrainians sought an independent rule, uh, and then the Bolsheviks came in and kind of brought them under the Bolshevik control as an kind of an autonomous republic of the Soviet, what would become the Soviet Union. And so it's, it's, it's kind of oh, that, interesting history in that regard, um, and it kind of plays a it, big it role is. in what I think we're going to have to take a short break, and we'll be back with, uh, with Dr. Eli Kahl. Uh, he's a professor at Kent State University in political science and specializing in Ukrainian government, Ukrainian history. We're trying to still figure out what's going on between Russia and Ukraine at this point. We'll take a short break. We'll be back after these words, so don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. We're talking about what's going on in Ukraine with uh, Dr. Eli Call from Kent State University, a political science expert on Ukrainian history, Ukrainian government. And again, uh, Dr. Call, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's a mystery as to why this is happening in Ukraine, where the Russians are invading, causing not only terrible damage and disruption and death in Ukraine, but also affecting the global economy, as we're seeing, with regard to oil production and uh, other other elements of selling grain from Ukraine out to the rest of the world. It's having such a, an impact. We were talking in the last segment about the uh, Russian history and how it has been involving Ukraine. And um, you think that some of the Russian history is actually playing a part in what's going on with the Russian invasion? Or is it strictly an economic way of uh, claiming resources and improving the Russian economy? Well, what, again, I, I still keep asking the question, what's going on here? Why is this happening? So I, I think one of the things that people should start to kind of hone in on is why Putin behaves the way he does and how he has been behaving all along since he took power in 2000. Um, and, and there's a lot of evidence of, of him acquiring or seeking to acquire this kind of uh, overlordship over the other former Soviet republics, which typically because of the legacy of the Soviet Union, end up starting off as dictatorships. Um, a lot of these former Soviet republics, I mean, I'm talking about Central Asia, the Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, mm-hmm. um, and then the, the Caucasian republics, the Georgia, uh, Armenia, Azerbaijan, and then Ukraine and Belarus in particular. So the, the Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, the Baltics, moved to Europe rather quickly during after the fall of the Soviet Union, and then they kind of consolidated this democratic, democratic transition early, early on in the 1990s, whereas all the other former Soviet republics, Russia included, had these kind of struggles with, with establishing a, democratic, a new democratic regime following the end of the Soviet Union. And a lot of these 
former republics started off with the leaders being former Communist Party leaders, the, the Communist Party bosses who were in control at the time of the end of the Soviet Union. And so, and, and because of that, a lot of them ended up consolidating power and control over their, these new republics. And Ukraine was one of the ones that didn't have that happen, even though the, the, the former leader, uh, a gentleman who just passed away recently named Kravchuk, Leonid um, Kravchuk was the Communist Party boss in Ukraine, and he did become the first Ukrainian president. He uh, only stayed in power until 1994, at which point a gentleman named Kuchma took over. And Kuchma had this kind of unique experience where he would hit uh, Yeltsin's Russia and the United States and Europe uh, kind of against each other in terms of implementing reforms. He would kind of play uh, both both sides of the deck. Um, and, and in doing that, he kind of established this kind of neutrality status for Ukraine uh, regarding the East-West, uh, the, the Russian versus Western Europe kind of trajectory of democratic development in Ukraine. And then one of the things that I believe is happening with regards to the current conflict is, is Putin has tried to consolidate kind of this suzerain status over the former Soviet republics, particularly those with dictatorial rule. And it's become difficult in Ukraine because Ukraine doesn't have a dictator. Ukraine has had a, a, a series of democratic revolutions um, to prevent such autocratic rule from emerging in Ukraine. And it's clear and evident that the people of Ukraine won't stand for some sort of autocrat taking over control and the perception of, of the leader of Ukraine as a puppet for the Russian Federation or any other foreign power for that matter is, is viewed as, as a very negative thing and it would likely not stand. And so I think that this is something that Putin might have missed in terms of his understanding of the people of Ukraine and their aspirations for democracy. But it is something that he has sought to pursue because he wants control and he views his ability to control a, a dictator via uh, coercion or intimidation or um, uh, other means of kind of this uh, elite level negotiation between uh, uh, the great power of Russia and the slightly weaker power of Kazakhstan, for example, as, as something that he can take advantage of. And the fact that he can't do that in Ukraine has been really problematic for him and, and his vision of what Russia's status is in the former Soviet Union. And so I think that one well, of it the... Does look, it does look like a big miscalculation on the part of Putin. Absolutely. And it's be, and, and a large part of that is because he's been isolating himself. Um, particularly, I think COVID played a huge role in why this invasion is happening now is because of the economic impact that COVID has had on the produ economic production in Russia has pu pushed um, some of the uh, inner circle elites in Russia to kind of think about, well, maybe we could do this better, or maybe we, we could ha have handled this crisis better than Putin has handled it. And I think in order to kind of consolidate uh, the, the necessity for his ability to rule, Putin has had to reach and, and make these bold claims of denazification mm -hmm. in, in, in Ukraine, um, a country with a, a Jewish president. Um, it it's, seems ironic. It, yeah. I mean, well, and that's 
the key is that it's it's clear and evident that his real goal is to rein in Ukraine as a puppet government as a puppet state, just like he's done with Belarus, um, following the the anti uh, autocrat protests in 2020, where uh, the the dictator of Belarus was was surprisingly reelected in what is largely viewed as a fraudulent election. Uh, thousands of Belarusians protested and, and advocated for, you know, recognition of the unique Belarusian national identity. And there's, you know, while Russian forces are staging themselves in Belarus and have been throughout this invasion since February, uh, the, the majority of Belarusians do not support Putin reaching his hand into Belarus and kind of governing Belarus as a fiefdom of Russia. Um, and, and essentially, that's what I see Putin's kind of vision of the world is, is, is kind of this old era feudalist style governance where he is the king and the, the leaders of Belarus and Ukraine and Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan are all kind of his subordinate lords governing over these autonomous territories. Um, but his have, have, those other, have those other countries uh, accepted that role? Like Kazakhstan uh, and of, Belarus. Yeah, the the leadership of Belarus and Kazakhstan have accepted that role. Um, uh, both of those two countries I name because we have specific, you know, evidence of Russian involvement in kind of Russian manipulation of the, the foreign power uh, foreign policy process in these two countries. Um, Kazakhstan recently, for those of you who might not remember. Right before the Russian invasion of Ukraine in February, in January, there were mass protests in Kazakhstan uh, over oil price hikes and, and, and energy uh, price hikes in this very energy-rich country, um, largely to help supply Kazakhstan's main export to Russia. Um, and, and so and, and it, the, the popular protests that occurred in Kazakhstan demanded a regime change. and. Kazakhstan reached out to Russia and the other com uh, uh, cooperatives of the uh, CSTO, the Collective Security Treaty Organization that Russia has started kind of as a counter to NATO. Um, there's only six members right now. Um, and, and Kazakhstan reached out to them and 2,500 Russian paratroopers arrived in the, and, and kind of put down the protest with lethal ammunition and hundreds of people were wounded and many of them died. Um, Don't hear much was, of much of that. Yeah, and, and, and that's well, the thing is it was it was big news when it was going on, but then it disappeared yeah. as soon as the war in Ukraine broke up. And and so and this well, is the, the way that Putin prefers to lead these kind of and, and have his influence over these uh, satellite countries of his in his mind. Well, let's hold, let's hold on to that thought for now until we have you on again to follow up on Ukraine. So, uh, Dr. Eli Call, thank you so much for joining us tonight and giving us an update on what's going on with Ukraine. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great, healthy, and safe week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning And only my mind for company 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.